Please be seated. Well, we've uh, come to the end of John chapter 17. Not wanting to start something new just before I leave for a couple of weeks, I would like to look back with you one more time at this chapter with a different purpose. And I'm sorry I printed the bulletin before I uh, changed the title of my morning sermon. My, my morning sermon has the thrilling title, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. If you want to leave now, I don't blame you. Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, I would like to explain, but only after, of course, I read this text to you once more. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Let us pray once more. Our Father in heaven, we come to these words again, these majestic words of such power and beauty and pray that we might just begin to begin to have such wonderful things fulfilled in us that we would know the Lord's glory and joy and love in ourselves and that you would sanctify and preserve and teach us your holy word and way. Our Father, even as we come back to this passage once more from a very different perspective, we, we pray that you would set apart your people, even as you have given us to your Son. May he be pleased to teach us his way today through your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I read the story of a distinguished visit, uh, theologian rather, that was visiting his children and grandchildren during the spring break week, and they went together to the family's large evangelical church for Easter. This man, this notable theologian, was not an evangelical, but he said that he tried to be fair and to suspend judgment. But the man said there was no greeting from God, there was no sense that this was God's gathering. The songs were almost exclusively about us, our feelings, and our intentions to worship, obey, and love. But it was not clear whom they were talking about or why. And he concluded, well, evangelicals don't really have a liturgy. They put all the content into the sermon, so I'll wait. Well, he was patient, but the patience was not rewarded. Uh, Although it was Easter, he said the message, with no clear text was on how Jesus gives us the strength to overcome our obstacles. And he left very discouraged. He wanted to come meet with God. He wanted to hear about the real, the great, the historical victory over sin and death in Jesus Christ. But that day, he heard about how people could make their own Easter come true in their own lives. What's going on here What's going on in the church today, in the world in general? According to nationwide surveys, the largest body of Christian belief in our country is not Catholicism or Protestantism, for you will find the adherents attend both churches. It has no seminaries for training. It has no colleges for the instruction of the youth, but it is found in every American institution and education of higher learning. And sometimes diagnosing the problem is a matter of finding the right term, the right words to name it. And the first one to give names to this phenomenon in the United States in particular, but the West in general, is a man named Christian Smith, whom some of you might know is Tom Tyson's son-in-law. He and his team at UNC for a couple years conducted by far the largest study of its kind, a mixed-method, random, stratified sample of 3,290 English- and Spanish-speaking teenagers across the United States to figure out what do they believe. And the results began coming out as he published his 2005 book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. 
He actually had a number of interesting positive things to say, but in terms of what they believed, his conclusion is that the dominant religion of American teenagers is what he called moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's the largest religion you never heard of. It's a religion that has affected us all and has captured all the culture-making institutions of our day. It's a religion that many people hold unknowingly while they are members of Christian churches across quite a wide variety of denominational stripes. It's a religion that I'll be explaining to you today in order that I hope to equip you to fulfill this prayer of our Lord that you might be in the world but not of the world but rather sanctified by the truth, for God's word is truth, and that you might through such things be kept from the evil one. And briefly to explain, having finished our exposition, studying through chapter 17, section by section, I, as I say, I didn't want to begin the next section yet, so I was looking for something that might help us to review or apply something that we have learned and a friend from another church, a professor here at VT, a Christian professor, um, mentioned to me his distress that in all these years, he's never heard a single sermon on this most important topic. And he has students in his class every day. He, he deals with this constantly. And he said, this is something that is, that is worth bringing to a congregation. I thought he had a good point. Well, the Lord himself unmasked the teaching of the popular Pharisaic religion of his day, for example, in Matthew 23, and was very clear to distinguish it from true religion in places such as the Sermon on the Mount, continually making a comparison. And so I would like to give you a rare non-expository sermon from this gospel today in order to contrast the popular religion of our day with the religion of the prayer of Jesus that we just studied. As I say, this research was conducted on teenagers now 20 years ago. Um, those teenagers have grown up. They're now in their 40s. They're running tech companies and communication platforms and websites and media outlets, and they are raising children of their own and writing into the op-ed columns and teaching Sunday school classes. Uh, in the 2021 American Worldview Inventory, the researchers reported that now 38% of American adults embrace the beliefs of moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's a big phenomenon. It's not just an American phenomenon. It's wherever you find Western individualism, multiculturalism, and relativism. I mean, dare I say, narcissism. It really is a narcissistic take on the Christian faith. It's not just here in America. Um, Anglican minister Stephen Walton, uh, now in Germany, he, he recently wrote, when I was a vicar in rural England, rural England, with congregations of older people, I found this was an accurate description of many people's basic default beliefs. In many churches, including evangelical churches, it may be the actual religious belief of most of the congregation. This is because MTD, short for Moralistic 
therapeutic deism. I may use that acronym because it's kind of a mouthful. Uh, that's because MTD can act as a powerful filter through which people strain what they hear, end quote. So to prove this point to you and to press it home, I'm choosing a wide variety of illustrations and quotations to show you this is not just a Protestant or a Catholic issue, not a mainline or evangelical issue, not something that affects Democrats or Republicans or Americans or Europeans, only it's ubiquitous in our increasingly narcissistic Western culture. It's the civil religion also of our day, and it pervades governments and other institutions, as I hope to at least illustrate. It's a Christian corruption. Christianity is about grace, not moralism. It's about sanctifying people, not making them feel better about themselves as they are. It's about the God that was made flesh, not a distant, uninvolved deity. It's, it's in so many ways the opposite, and yet it's such a powerful filter that you can sit there and nod your head to a message. Holy Father, Jesus prayed, keep through your name those whom you have given me. That's my goal for this sermon, is that through these uh, brief uh, minutes today, that the Lord would use this message to help keep you in Christ till the end, and not only you, to be able to help you understand if you're affected by these things, or if you have something to say to others who are. If this is such a big issue, you say, why haven't I heard about it before, and what do I do about it for myself, as well as others, and even the people in my household? Well, that's going to be the the, the balance of the sermon today. I, I do have three points. Excuse the words. I'll take it in reverse order. Deism, therapeutic, and moralistic. If you need help spelling, I'm sorry. I have to look on the paper of the person next to you. Uh, at each point, we'll consider how we know if we are affected by our toxic environment and how we might speak the truth to others. And so three points with application, but not expository points. This is taking a different turn. Deism. Deism. Something that we heard about like in the days of founding fathers, right? But, but what does that have to do with us? Well, the first two of the five major beliefs of the popular religious viewpoint, as summarized by Christian Smith in many long interviews and his team, are these. First, first point in the deism catechism. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. And second point of five, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So most people, of course, uh, say that they believe in God. 90% of Americans say that. References to God, certainly in our culture, are still common. But, but Smith explains, no, this moralistic therapeutic deism is about the belief in a particular kind of God. One who exists, who created the world, he writes, and defines our general moral order. But one who is not particularly personally involved in our affairs, especially affairs in which we would prefer God not to have involvement. <clears throat> Most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance. So we could uh, 
think of Bette Midler's song from the 80s, as some of you have already thought, right? God is watching us from a distance. We'll sing that as our closing hymn today. <laughs> this idea that God is there and, and on call for our demands, but makes no demands of us. Smith writes, this God helps people to feel better about themselves and doesn't become too personally involved in the process. Well, there are certainly many gods. Here in verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. And the true and living God is, of course, anything but a distant God. Anything but a non-judgmental God, even as we just sang from Psalm 96, that he will judge the world in righteousness. Our God is very much an interventionist God. Jesus prays, of course, not only that they may know you, the only true God, but that Jesus Christ, verse 3, whom you have sent. Jesus is the great intervention of God. Okay. Um, not uninvolved, not far away. We, as we have learned, Jesus not only spoke with authority, he called for love, loyalty, and sanctity from his followers in every area of life. And Jesus' righteous father, as he calls him in verse 25, could not have been different to the more or less hands-off indifferent God of deism. God is intimately connected with and absolutely sovereign over even the smallest details of this world. Not a hair from my head falls to the ground apart from his will. Uh, the very birds and the sparrows likewise. He deeply loves and cares about his children. He is a God that is with us as Emmanuel, a God at hand. I in them, you in me, even while we were apart. Verse 23. The God of moralistic therapeutic deism is a weak God who is at the end both bland and boring. The God that we read here prayed to by our Lord Jesus is a mighty God and a glorious God whose arm is not too shortened to save. He is the the Lord that we may confidently approach, the true God, the present God, the holy God, not distant, uninvolved, and bland. So, you know, this is just by way of review, right? You say, yeah, we've, we've covered all this. Um, so, are we affected by this? Um, well, was George Washington a deist? <laughs> it's funny, the scholars sometimes still debate this. I mean, you read his personal letters, the there, there is, I think, no doubt the answer is no, but uh, like everyone of that day, to some extent, Washington was influenced by deism, certainly the language of deism in his public life and pronouncements and, and his role as president. Uh, he was using the most general language that was agreeable to the most people of the day. And likewise, we are powerfully influenced by the spirit of our age, if, if, if only even to adapt our language if not often our thought, to what is most agreeable to the commonly acceptable religion of our day. So um, it, it's this deistic God. Um, most people think this faraway God is, is rather bland and rather g- generic, uh, not really known very closely or very well by anyone. That's why we can have the coexist bumper sticker, Right? which anybody that knows anything about the beliefs of these religions, know they, they, they just can't be reconciled anywhere near being reconciled. But when we don't know God, which is eternal life to know him, 
Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, it all does seem to blend together. So it seems to us that everybody knows and worships the, some distant and remote God that's, that's the same, that, that faraway God out there that nobody really knows very well. It's the God that we all know. So President George W. Bush a few years ago, uh, it doesn't surprise us when he said, I believe that uh, all, all the world, uh, whether they be Muslim, Christian, or any other religion, prays to the same God. That's what I believe. Um, say this, this, this is what regularly comes down to us from high. Yeah, it's really all the same. And since everyone really believes the same religion, which is moralistic therapeutic deism, this is what everybody should practice. That's how we feel in the West anyway. Um, now, I don't think that this in particular is a danger to, to us here, but we are influenced by this faraway deistic thinking when we are, find ourselves not grateful for God's continued care of and presence with us, his good providence in our lives, we can begin to think that we are responsible for all the good things in our lives. This lack of thankfulness, this delusion of self-sufficiency is part and parcel of deism. Because deism tells you, you know, hey, he's there if you need him to give you the cheer, but really you are the captain of your fate and the master of your destiny. Right? Um, so we need to be on guard and what are we to tell others if this is their belief? Well, obviously, we have to tell people what is so much better and so much more wonderful about knowing God, about knowing our God, a God in hand, a God who does wondrous works, the God that is Emmanuel that is with us, and let people know that God is not actually uh, distant when we call upon him. God is intimately involved in this world and is near to us, we should let him know, let people know rather that if they believe that the reason that they think that there should be little religious disagreement, for instance, in the world, if they can't understand why, why these people are not getting along together in various countries of the world, because it's the reason why they think that is because they, they think that all religion is basically moralistic, therapeutic deism, which it is not. And while people may believe that God made the world, they need to understand that God didn't just make it. He made it for himself. He made it to glorify him. He made us to glorify him. And, and that it is a delight to do so. We must let people know that they are also responsible to this God who made them and that he will judge the world justly. Most of all, we have to let people know that this God is not far away but has cared enough to become one of us Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He is not watching over us from a distance. He has entered this world and experienced it so that we could know him forever, that we could behold his glory, the glory as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And that we need to let people know, even if they're in our church, that's deism. We, we need to repudiate deism. The second point of the popular religion of the day is that it's Therapeutic, therapeutic. Uh, so here's a quote from a message from Victoria Osteen. I, I told you I'm trying to be as broad as possible, right? Victoria Osteen, she, she, she says one of her messages, not that, not that I listened to it, okay? I just read it, okay? <laughs> All right, um, yeah. Say, What's my pastor listening to? Okay. <laughs> um, she says, just do good for your own self. Do good because 
God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. In so many of the interviews that Christian Smith conducted, uh, the teenagers specifically used the phrase, feel happy over 2,000 times. Virtually no mention of honoring God, okay? So, uh, the, the, you know, the emphasis of this in people's minds and thought is, is tremendous, that basically the point of religion is to be therapeutic. Um, or as Smith explains, this is not a re- religion of repentance from sin or of keeping the Sabbath or of living as a servant of a sovereign divine and so forth, he says. Rather, what appears to be the actual dominant religion among U.S. teenagers is centrally about feeling good, happy, secure, at peace. It's about attaining to subjective well-being, being able to resolve problems and get along amiably with people. Obviously, this is impossible to reconcile with the prayer of our Lord. I mean, just getting along amiably with people, it's hard to reconcile with verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, and I'm not of the world. Uh, Following Jesus will not help us to get along more amiably with others. Well, I mean, living at peace with all men so much as it depends upon us. But you see my point. If they crucified the Lord, Lord of glory, he says, you know, um, what are you going to expect when, when, of his servants? So he mentions the problem in verse 16 and 17. The problem is they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So there is this, there is this division between what one feels, the desire to feel good, and the, the truth, what really, in fact, is uh, especially of God's word, the, the, the truth as it is there. So President Biden, I'm trying to hit both sides of the aisle, recently told trans children, you are created in the image of God. Very true and very acceptable to both Christians and the followers of moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, now of course, the verse says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Well, that's not acceptable. Whoa, no, 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 no. Uh, okay, so, so you see, what is acceptable to MTD, to ma- ma- moralistic therapeutic is when you take those parts that make you feel good and you leave off any sharpness, any, anything that's solid or, or real, or you would have to conform to reality of, of God's word. That would be very, very unacceptable. Uh, the civil religion of our day is where we may pick freely between the Bible and Oprah Winfrey, and it just goes uh, very smoothly together. Whatever is therapeutic is in for religion. Whatever is not therapeutic is out. Are we and others affected by this? Well, one way that Christians demonstrate that they have bought into moralistic therapeutic deism, is to say, well, God just wants me to be happy. And that's why I'm going to justify my behavior. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God wouldn't make me like this. God wouldn't put me in this position. God wouldn't give me these opportunities if he didn't want me to enjoy them. Because God wants me to enjoy 
It's the excuse for everything from dating an unbeliever to spending selfishly on ourselves and everything in between. Everything that would involve temporary happiness instead of self-denial unto ultimate happiness. A related problem is when Christians expect that life should be easy because as Jesus has just said to his disciples in the previous chapter as he sends them out, holiness is going to be hard. As a matter of fact, people are going to kill you thinking they're doing God's service, right? Holiness is going to be hard And this whole section says we must walk in the path of sorrows and sufferings that Jesus did, though at the same time that we do, we will have his greater joy and a peace that the world can neither give or take away. Okay, so you who are parents need especially to be on guard against this because you need to train your children to be disciplined for holiness, not primed for happiness. And if you're always solving every problem in order to make their life easy, and if, they're not, if it's not costing them something, then, then there's this implicit catechism into MTD when you say, it's, it's all right, honey, we'll take care of it, let's pray. Okay. Um, you'll know that you're affected by this if you're living by your feelings rather than being sanctified by the truth. Thy word is truth. For many people today who claim to be Christian, we, we find that those who are infected by MTD have actually very little knowledge of what Christianity is. Um, So here's uh, uh, Duke Pesta, professor of English at the University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh. He writes a, a few years back, and I mentioned in class, the Sermon on the Mount. The blank stares, he said, caused me to accuse them of laziness. Come on, come on, you know the Sermon on the Mount until I realized that not one of those 32 students, uh, sorry, until it was revealed that not one of those 32 students had any idea what the sermon was or who delivered it. If you don't know what it is, better see me after. Okay. Uh, Further questioning revealed that 25 of them had been raised as Christians, and 18 of them still considered themselves as such. This is, he writes, altogether typical of our rising generation of students, and the cultural ignorance gets worse from year to year, like rudderless boats, these kids arrive on campus and immediately drift along with the currents of our morally relativistic university culture. I, I, I mean, they, they don't even know the truth, much less desire to be sanctified by it. So we know that we're affected by this if, if we don't even know what we believe, as though to say that's not really the point. The point is that it works for you and that you're happy. So what are we to tell others if this is their belief MTD? Well, we're to tell people that if they want happiness, frankly, they've, they've chosen a very poor religion. Uh, there is a happiness that very, very far exceeds all the light, fleeting, temporary joys of momentary happiness that they're trying to get from um, a, a very anemic religion, and that the temporary joys of the world... Um, are going to be so unsatisfying to them. For Jesus prays that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them, that my joy may be in them. I've given them your glory. The glory, the joy, the love of Christ is, is, is far greater and certainly far longer lasting than what they're seeking from their moralistic, therapeutic, deistic religion. So while coming to Christ, it's true, may not make your life easier, in some ways, it is life itself to know him, he says. 
And we must also make clear to people that salvation is actually about God more than them. It's what God has done, uh, especially in the gospel. Our, our great emphasis must be um, not God loves you so much and has a wonderful plan for your life as much as is eternal life to know him. And if we frame the gospel around people, we only reinforce a self-centered perspective. We must show them that the gospel begins and ends with, with God as, as the Lord does in this great sweep of a prayer to show us before the foundation of the world how the Father has given the people, given his people to the Son and the Son who's laying down his life for them is preserving them and is sending his spirit and if they're going to be with him to the end that we are caught up in God and that it's, it's when we have this then we find true happiness, right? Um, can't have it all about us and have that kind of joy. So we're talking about deism, a very common kind of deism that doesn't seem to be so out of touch with Christianity until people start putting a few other pieces of the puzzle and you realize, well, there's just two different puzzles together. These pieces, they almost fit together. In fact, some of the pieces look the same, except when we put them together, it's a different picture entirely. Uh, therapeutic. It's all about how if I'm feeling better about myself, enjoying my life, and God getting on board with me. It's all about me. And moralistic is the last one, which begins MTD, moralistic, therapeutic deism, my third point to you. For example, in an interview with a teenage girl from Maryland, she explains, morals are good if they're healthy for society, like Christianity, which is all I know, the values you get from the Ten Commandments. I think every religion is important in its own respect. You know, if you're Muslim and Islam is the way for you, if you're Jewish, well, that's great too. If you're Christian, well, good for you. It's whatever makes you feel good about you. Whatever makes you feel good about you. Uh, she herself was not religious. She was just making a general statement about religion. It, it, it's good if it makes you feel good about you. Um, okay, not just feeling good in general, as in the previous point, but to be clear, Smith explains, being moral. And by being moral in this faith, it's a kind of morality, means being the kind of person that other people will like. Fulfilling one's personal potential and not being socially disruptive or interpersonally obnoxious. These are not his ideas. He comes with hundreds, thousands of quotes to, to say this is the great emphasis that when, when people are, are, are um, admired in society for their, their societal virtues or values, we can't say virtues anymore, values, you know, again, this language is killing us here, right? We used to talk about virtues. Now it's, everyone has values. So if you, if, you are, um, if you are a good illustration of the values that we affirm, um, your religion is doing a very good job for you. And that religion, in large part, is about te teaching us to be good people in, in that sense in society. Uh, and it's not just people in churches that are in on this business, but companies, for instance, one of the most common things we, we get now in companies, it's all the rage, sometimes people call it virtue signaling, steps that people in the companies take so that the people know that not only do they buy this razor, but that they're doing it from one of the good guys. 
And, and, and the, the virtue signal is to say, hey, we're one of the good guys. We stand with well, whatever it is. You say, well, it, why would they even bother to say they cost them nothing? Um, well, because it gives people good feelings about them because it's a, it's a moralistic uh, expression. All right. And MTD is about helping us feel good about being in the right specifically. So it's clear that as a corollary, there's no grace in the religion of MTD and therefore no forgiveness for failure. We certainly see that in the civil religion of our day. If you've done something wrong in the past, well, you're canceled for the future because moralism is the civil religion and moralism has no redeemer. Okay. Jesus is introduced to us as the redeemer in this book, uh, The Lamb of Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all kinds of people come to him with all kinds of pasts. And when we come to Jesus, we learn immediately that we are not in the right. It's the first thing that Peter realizes when he understands who is in the boat with him. And he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. As soon as he has his eyes open, he knows not only who the Lord is, but who he is. And we realize when we come to Jesus that we have no moralism about us, that we are rather the very sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. And so Jesus, for example, speaks of the Holy Spirit who's coming to the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It comes, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to end with joy, but it's going to certainly begin with dismay. We are not in the right. We need grace. We need grace every day. No, every hour. Jesus says, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? That it comes to us not affirming us, but saying that we are dead, damned. We are in deep trouble. And you have to be born of God, born of the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's not a religion of moralism. It's a religion that crushes moralism. So that Jesus says that the, uh, the Pharisee who goes up to the temple to pray and says, I thank you, Father, that uh, I'm not like other men, uh, adulterers, uh, these, this tax collector over here. I fast twice in a week and give tithes of all that I possess. And, and the other man just stands afar off. He won't even lift his eyes. He just beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, that's the guy who goes home justified before God and not the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, it's the end of moralism. Paul himself regularly laments how far short he falls. Uh, David, of course, uh, the prime example of uh, a model repenter, uh, in the old, old days especially, still is praying later, Lord, my sins and faults of youth forget. He confesses his, his sins of today and yesterday. Uh, the whole thing is, is a matter of sadness. This is why we need a Savior. And how do we know that we're affected by this? Well, as soon as we are self-righteous, if we're, if we're condemning other people, if we are affected uh, by this religion of moralism, uh, also if we are uh, seeing Christianity as a kind of a pick-and-choose menu option religion, not a all-encompassing worldview. So um, multi this MTD is evident if we are acting, in other words, if doctrine is 
insignificant compared to application. Like it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you live a good life, that's all God really cares about. Get it? Doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you what you do. Okay? Uh, Christianity says what you do is the big problem. What you believe is you're going to be saved by faith in another, in Jesus. Okay. So this is the, the great difference. Um, maybe we're longing for sermons and books that just tell us how to make our lives better or to live better, or we disdain doctrine, or we don't bother to tell our children about the Trinity or these five-syllable words that like justification and propitiation and other critical doctrines for us to know the Lord and what he's done for us. I mean, what's important? Do we just want them to behave? Or do we say, son, what does propitiation mean? Um, you say, well, you know, practically speaking, most of the time I just want them to behave, right? Okay, that'll work, that'll work for about 18 years, okay? Uh, and then they don't understand propitiation, right? Okay, the, the very source of all real godliness and heart change is gone, okay? A religion of moralism makes you miserable, self-righteous, and dry. A religion of grace has to be the foundation of all doing. That's why Paul spends all those chapters, right? Ephesians 1, 2, 3, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, uh, before he says, therefore, because ours is not a religion of moralism. Um, when we are focusing on our own external behaviors while neglecting our heart, we're affected. When we go through the motions and rituals of Christianity, rather than consciously acting out of love for God, we're only addressing behavior but never motivation. Are we happy if our children are well-adjusted and get good grades and get along well with others if they, if they don't know the great things of God? Okay, so this is the effect that it has on us, wearing us down. We're affected by the modern religion if we believe that salvation is, is, is based upon moralism. So the late Cardinal of New York, Avery Dulles, a very, very middle-of-the-road Catholic, one of their better theologians, I should say, for the last 50 years, he wrote this to a mixed audience in First Things. So um, Catholics can be saved if they believe in the Word of God as they're taught by the church and they obey the commandments. Other Christians can be saved if they submit their lives to Christ and join the community where he thinks their wills to be found. He think, where they think he wills to be found. Jews can be saved if they look forward and hope to the Messiah and try to ascertain whether God's promise has been fulfilled. Adherents of other religions can be saved if, with the help of grace, they sincerely seek God and strive to do His will. I mean, if you're sincere and you're striving, it doesn't matter what, you're, what you believe. Adherents of other religions save that, save that way. Even atheists, he says, can be saved if they worship God under some other name and they place their lives at the service of truth and justice. Okay. Um, so this is a viewpoint that's, that's everywhere, in everything. It's in every church, it's in every institution, it's the civil religion, so it comes down from the highest levels of, of government. And it affects us. It affects our speech, if not our language, and we need to recognize the difference between a religion of moralism and a religion of redemption through Jesus Christ. How are we to tell others? Well, we must certainly focus on the historical reality of the gospel. It's 
not advice. It's an announcement. It's the announcement of a great redemption for a people in great sin and great guilt and great need. And the focus is not on what a person needs to know, though there is a therefore that comes from it, but on who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the great message. That's the great announcement of the good news. And we must help people see that in Christ, there is forgiveness for all their failures. That every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, says Jesus. This is why he's come. This is why the tax collectors and the harlots were the first in the kingdom of heaven. And why the self-righteous people of the day refused to enter and kept others from entering. Okay? Because they had a religion, even back then, of moralism versus the religion that Christ has come to bring of grace. And once we have received grace and glory and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, then, and the truth of God, then there starts a a new kind of holiness that goes from the inside out, one that is very humble and very useful indeed. And we must help to see peop, to people to see that in Christ there is forgiveness for their failures and redemption and hope. And so, in conclusion, this MTD is supposed to help you to feel right as a moralistic religion. It is supposed to help you feel good about yourself as a therapeutic religion. It is supposed to help you feel in control of your life, as deism does. Um, and it's supposed to say, you know, hey, as I, as I just said, um, okay, well, look, the researchers found under MTD's influence, the people were more likely to engage in some biblical faith practices than to hold beliefs. Okay, so 13% would still read their Bibles or pray or worship God or confess their sins, seek God's will for their life, but only 1% were willing to endorse biblical teaching and follow through on it. What I'm saying is, unsurprisingly, this sort of anemic, watered-down faith does not have any real traction in people's lives. Even though it says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you live right, the people who believe it don't live right. And this is difficult when it gets mixed up with in the church. Now, American pollster George Barna, it seems every year, has another discouraging report that Christians in so many behaviors are exactly like the world, right? You've seen these discouraging reports in this area, in this practice, in this sin. It's, it's the same, Christians versus non-Christians. When I was in graduate school, I think... This has got to be wrong. This has got to be wrong. There's got to be a problem with this. They are much better than average. And then there's the MTD people. He's identified. Uh, Only 13% of them do any of those practices anyway. And they are much worse than the world. Okay? The world is actually in the middle. But when you combine Christians with believers in MTD and you put them together in the same data set, was an example that I used for my, for my paper. Okay? Students' dishonesty at school correlates with dishonesty at work, as well as sports, politics, paying taxes, cheating in high school predictions. It would seem unlikely that cheating ends uh, before the profession begins, right? Um, and so a bunch of studies notice this 
significant. And, and study after study after study said on a major project in the last, whatever it is, nine months, I can't remember all the details, but it's the same. You ask a few more questions. For some people that rarely cheat, there's some people that cheat far worse because if you're going to cheat, you're going to cheat God, you're going to cheat on a test. This, I'm just going to do what's right religion actually produces people that do wrong more than the world. Okay. That's why it matters. And when you drive your Volkswagen, right, that has supposedly clean diesel, because they tested the diesel, right, and the diesel actually burns cleaner than the, you know, this right, a couple years ago. Some of you engineers probably heard this. Uh, okay, you know the problem? They lied. They lied on all their tests and everything. They had to recall thousands and thousands of Volkswagens because they, they just lied. And you think, well, how, how do we get to this situation, right? What is happening in our society? Uh, well, one important answer is that our religion, the growing civil religion of our day, is making people worse and worse. They'd be better off without it, statistically speaking. Youth, writes Christian, are buying into MTD as a way to succeed in life and in American culture. And they don't see it as anything... Um, sorry, they don't see it as anything substantial enough to invest their lives in or risk their lives for, however. It's ultimately bland. It's nice. It's boring. Dear friends, Christianity is not moralism but grace. It's not making people feel better about themselves but transforming lives through God's holy word of truth. It's not about an uninvolved deity watching us from a distance. It is a